Rabbi Levine, speaking of big Jewish communities, he is the CEO of the largest Jewish school outside of New York and New Jersey, which is pretty hard to top, I think. So it's pretty impressive. <laughs> um, before moving to Chicago, Rabbi Levine lived in San Jose, right? And you were rabbi there for 13 years. Um, Rabbi Levine is very passionate about Jewish education, Jewish outreach. Um, he's spoken to big companies like Intel, Google, Apple, um, and he has some really beautiful insight to share with us, so please just give him your attention. Okay, good evening. Very happy to be with you all today and to share a little bit. Um, I think the topic I was giving was leadership. So uh, you're all future leaders. So the thing about leadership is one of the things that if you want to be a leader is you have to learn from everybody. So obviously what I'm going to say today is my story. But as the Mishnah says, anyone know what the word Mishnah means? So Mishnah is part of the Jewish uh, liturgy called the Oral Laws. The Mishnah, the Mishnah is the Talmud. Ever heard of the Talmud? Mm-hmm. So there's that amazing thing that, that, that the Talmud says, you should learn from everybody. That a wise person learns from everybody. So I'm going to share my story of leadership, so to speak, and hopefully you'll ask me questions and you'll all learn something here tonight. So I, I guess, I guess since before I just started, could you just tell me, name, where you're from, freshman, sophomore, junior, Maggie. Um, yes. Maggie. LA. LA. Yeah, go ahead. And I'm a senior. Senior, okay. Yes. You almost done. What are you majoring in? Uh, radio, TV, film. Wow. Okay, we have to talk. Okay. <laughs> go ahead. Brianna. Um, I'm from the DC, Maryland, DC area. Silver um, Spring. Potomac. Potomac. Okay, Potomac. close. I was born in Silver Spring. Silver Spring. Good. Um, I'm a senior studying aerospace engineering. Nice. Okay. I'm Lily from Santa Barbara, and I'm a senior studying neuroscience. Unbelievable! You have you have California girls coming to here for the cold weather in neuroscience <laughs> and for neuroscience. Wow. Um, I'm Gabby. I'm a freshman from San Francisco. San Francisco. Yay. Wow. Um, and I'm studying environmental or neuro. I haven't really decided yet. Okay. Bright group. Okay. <laughs> Uh, my name is Peter. I'm from New Jersey, and I'm majoring in econ and poli sci. Um, yeah. Nice, Charlie. You came on time, just on time. <laughs> my name's Charlie. I'm a freshman, and I'm majoring in radio, television, film, and econ. And wh- where are you from? Um, New Jersey. Which part? Which where? North Jersey. Bergen? No. Um, there's a lot. There's a lot of Bergen people. But yeah. Union County. Union, of course. Okay. I spent some time in Jersey. Jack. Jack from the baseball player, that part I got. Uh, Closer. Providence, Rhode Island. Right. Freshman. Freshman. And industrial engineer. Okay. Uh, I'm Ari. I'm from Seattle. I'm a freshman in neuroscience and computer science. I'm Lauren. I'm a freshman. I'm from Westchester, New York, and I'm studying global health and psych. Nice. Where in Westchester? Uh, Bedford. Where is that? They're really far north. Far north. Almost okay. Connecticut. Almost Connecticut, I have to say. Okay. Oh, cool. So I guess I'm going to share my story now. So I grew up in Miami Beach. So, you know, we're talking about leadership. I think as a, at a young age, I was fortunate that my own parents and later my in-laws were very community-minded people. So I'm going to share very briefly what they did, and then I'm going to start to share what I do and do, have done, and, you know, we can just take, take it there. My father had a CPA firm. Like, it's much more boring than neuroscience. Uh, actually, it's involved in a lot of, Jew, a lot of uh, both secular and Jewish companies, actually on involved in a lot of Fortune 500 companies as well. I'm talking about Florida before. He has a lot of uh, Northeast and Chicago people who moved to Florida because the tax laws are also better. And in his position, he's able to actually start a lot of synagogues, be involved in hospitals, um, be involved in a lot of Jewish organizations both in America and in Israel. So at a young age, I watched my father both communally involved, nationally involved, internationally involved, 
my mother, it, you know, who grew up, was actually a dental hygienist, hated it. We couldn't like when I was like, like a kid. But she was always involved in community. And she, everything, anyone ever hear of Biker Cholim? Any of those words, Biker Cholim? Yeah. You know what it is, Ari? No, nope, just remember the Okay, word. so Biker <laughs> means to visit the sick. So my, the, in a lot of Jewish communities, there's actually a group called Biker Cholim, which means people that are sick, you, you, you visit. Now, South Florida, when I grew up, they used to call it Jewish heaven. Because everyone went there to die. <laughs> so, it was actually, you know, my South Beach, right? Yeah, they, that has a lot of young people. But it was like a lot, actually, I mean, I, in my synagogue when I was younger, I had so many doctors, like, and as I got older, I, I realized why are there so many doctors in the synagogue where there's a lot of elderly people. So, there are a lot of people who go to South Florida still to retire, not so much in Miami Beach where I live, grew up anymore, much more Palm Beach, Delray Beach, these kind of places. But my mother was in one of the heads of called Beaker Home, and in fact, all of the calls for visiting the sick, if there's somebody in a hospital, somebody in a nursing home, they would go to my house as a kid. Our house was the, the phone line for this something called Beaker Home. And today she's actually very involved in families with fertility. With fertility issues, she's very involved in that. My father-in-law was a very successful businessman. He actually owned the third largest private ambulance company in the country. He, and the way he got into that is he was essentially the... Not, it wasn't the first person, but it was the first one to make something called Hatsala big. Anyone ever heard of Hatsala? Mm-hmm. Hatsala, you heard of? Mm-hmm. So Hatsala is, is a volunteer ambulance group. My father was the first paramedic for them, and wow. he wow. got them the first walkie-talkies, and he made them into a very big group. Now there's thousands of people. It started in New York. No one's from New York City here. Mm-hmm. Right? So if you're in New York City, um, it's, it's, all the hospitals are in Manhattan. It's like L.A. traffic. Mm-hmm. right? So if you're living a little bit far out, you're in big trouble. So they started this volunteer paramedic group and now it's international and one of the things he actually did many years ago is he made a deal with Israel who has also something about and David Adom and Hatzalah mm-hmm. that if they ever have full conscription of the army that Hatzalah would go to Israel to back them up because right now all of their paramedics are on yeah. are, 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 cons- are, are fighting essentially so actually Hatzalah that's something my father did, year, father did years ago he also helped an organization called Camp Simcha anyone heard of that? I work there. You work there. Ah, Cam <laughs> Simcha. You should ask Shira about this at a different time. Amazing, amazing group. Uh, they, they, Camp Simcha. It's been called High Life, and they help children and the families of children who are suffering with cancer or other issues. My, actually, my my daughter was there this summer, and they went back there this summer as well. My oldest, mm-hmm. my second daughter, um, and my mother-in-law. She's like a boring professor at of social work at NYU. <laughs> and in that Warren. position, yeah, in that position, she helps a lot of people, and she actually testified, helped abuse laws around the country. Uh, she's also very involved in um, the Jewish community in helping with marriages, problematic divorces, and especially actually in New York with Russian Jewish children, uh, helping their families as well. So that, that's my family. So I really grew up in an environment of giving, of not, not just you know, not just living for yourself. And one of the attributes of a leader is a real leader wants to give. Because if you just care about yourself, then people aren't going to want to empower you. People aren't going to, you know, if you're, whether you're a rabbi, whether you're a manager of a group, you're going to fail at some point, right? Real leaders look to give to other people. It happens to be an overwhelming Jewish concept. One of the famous commentaries says, lo la'atzmo never. None of us are created just for ourselves. So I really grew up with that Weltanschauung, with that worldview of looking to give to other people. And I went to, to a group in Miami Beach. Tell my, my tan, right? Now, now, now I'm in Chicago. I'll get to that soon. A group in Miami Beach, Florida. Anyone ever been to Miami Beach? 
Yeah, you know the fountain blue, the Eden Rock, and all those hotels at all. I like l- mid beach in the forties, like literally across the street from there. That's where I grew up. Uh, I'm born in Miami Beach. Grew up, you know, uh, with a wonderful family. Went to yeshivas in America, in Queens, in Israel, and went to a yeshiva in Lakewood. Ever heard of Lakewood, New Jersey? Anyone mm-hmm. from Jersey? Lakewood is, ma- is the biggest yeshiva place of study in America. Is in Lakewood, New Jersey, and I was studying there as the rabbinic ordination. And then I went at the age of 28 to University of Pennsylvania Law School. I actually thought about Northwestern. <laughs> Didn't think about it. But then I thought, it's way too cold. I would never live in Chicago. <laughs> never say never. That is the rule. You know, um, I thought, really, I thought, like, you know, I thought about University of Chicago and Northwestern. I was like, well, no way. Um, so I went to Penn. And I'll tell you something. I, when you know, when you, anyone have bubbies or zadies? Everyone knows what bubbies and zadies are? Mm-hmm. So I had, I had four bubbies and zadies, you know, two bubbies and two zadies growing up. Bubbies and zadies, for those who don't know, is Yiddish for grandmas and grandpas. All four of my grandparents were Polish Holocaust survivors. And like re, a, anyone who knows anything about the Holocaust, Poland was the worst. They lost 3 million out of 3.3 million Jews. The Nazis started World War II by attacking Poland. They had in the top ten most wanted in Poland were two rabbis. They hunted for two Hasidic rabbis who were the heads. My father's parents were fortunate, even though they lost a lot of their family. They were put into Siberia because they escaped to the Russian side, refused Russian citizenship, and spent five years in Siberia. As a little kid, I watched my I'd see my grandparents. My grandfather's toes were like blue from the frostbite from those years, and my mother's parents were not so fortunate. Not only did they lose with their whole family, they lost their first spouses. And the, the, I'm a product, my mother was a product of their second marriage. And when I grew up, my grandparents told me all about the Holocaust all the time. And I never really thought about it, like, beyond my family. But when I went to the University of Pennsylvania, it was a much more Jewish than Northwestern, by the way. Uh, it's about the third Jewish at some level. What's, what's the, what's, what is the Northwestern? I don't know. 20, right. That high? 8%? It's pretty. 20, oh, 20%. 20%. 20%. Okay, that's also high. It's wow. It's super it's high. You guys have a hard time with like, pro Palestine things or all? Uh, Hamas? Yeah. You probably won't be that Jewish for. Yeah, going forward. Why? Because what's going on now? I have a feeling that's Jews will be. Yeah, what's going on now? Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 Right. Well, in my days, it was quiet. Um. So, but, but I'll tell you something. When I went to UPenn my first month there, I was, I looked like this. I came, I was, I had, I was 28, I had two kids, um, I was married, and I walked there, you know, with a biblical ordination. I went to law school really open-minded what I was going to do. I, I you know, different family options. Obviously, I thought about doing law, which would have been trust in the States, not neuroscience or TV, uh, or industrial engineering or any other sort. But I went to law school looking like this. I was in the, actually in the diversity brochure. That's what I mean. Like, <laughs> I like, literally, I made it all. Um, and, but, but I was bothered my first few weeks there. Like the, my year, the top 10 feeder schools of the Penn Law was the eight Ivy Leagues, NYU, and Yeshiva University, actually. <laughs> so um, that was the top 10 feeders. So lots of Jewish kids. Very few of them were too Jewishly knowledgeable. And a lot of these kids, because they knew nothing about Judaism, basically said to themselves, you know, they were dating non-Jews only. They didn't care about Judaism. They weren't going to Olami. Actually, there was nothing like Olami there. And so I said to myself, what could I do about this? And I'll tell you something that clicked by me. I thought about my youth, about doing, about giving to other people. And I actually thought about my grandparents. And I said to myself the following thing. I always grew up thinking, if I would be living in the time of 1938, 1939, 
there'll be a holocaust where I just watch, where I just watch what's going on, or where I do something, right? Where I watch or I do something. And I felt then, and I still feel today, that the, we have masses of Jewish people who have 30, 300 plus years of Judaism since Sinai in their blood, 3,700 years since Abraham in their blood. Really, we are all the, a link in the chain going back 3,700 years straight. And many Jews today lose that connection, not out of a choice, but out of a default. Literally out of a default, not knowing enough about Judaism to really make a conscious decision to connect. Uh, so I thought, what am I going to do here? People are asking me Jewish questions. So think about it. I'm 28. I'm married with two kids. I'm starting law school. Law school, the first year, one on law is intense. But I thought to myself, what could I possibly do? So I took the three coolest guys I possibly could. So this is a rule, by the way. Get the coolest people you can. Because if they do it, everybody would do it. I'm telling you, I had the three coolest guys in Penn Law. I said, you want to study? I took them in the middle of the library. In the middle of the library. Um, and we started studying Judaism. Literally, Pirkei Avot. Everyone know what Pirkei Avot is? Ethics of our fathers. I still remember the first class with someone whose grandfather had started one of the largest law firms in the Atlantic area. I said, Moses got the Torah from Sinai, which is the language of this Mishnah, of Pirkei Avot, and he gave it over to Joshua, talking about the chain of transmission of Jewish teachings. And he looks at me with his straight face and says, isn't Sinai Catholic? I'm like, no. <laughs> All right, so it, <laughs> so that, but, but with very Jewish, and so that, that experience, by the end of my first year of law school, had 150 students in the law school, had 150 students and actually professors. We had like weekly lunch and learns. We had all kinds of Jewish. And the, the only goal of this Jewish club, which we can't, I was actually just out of the table and talk to the story in a second. The only goal of this Jewish club, in my mind, was just to give Jews some knowledge. It was not to make people more religious, not to make, it was just to give Jews knowledge. I remember that the dean of students said to me, there's a Jewish club already. There's JALSA, there's Jewish Law Students Association. Why do you need Jewish Heritage Club? Which later became Maimonides at Penn Law, and now is more at Penn Law. Uh, along with Penn Law. So I said, to the, I said, I'll tell you the truth. The JALSA has two events here. One is they go bowling, another is they go ice skating. And there's nothing Jewish about it, just that they call themselves JALSA. I want Jews to have some level of Jewish education. And literally, by the end of my first year, we were the, the largest Jewish club in Penn Law. My second year, when I was approved, start of the year, actually, I tabled. This is great. I would start, I heard you tabling. So, of course, we were approved clubs. So I get their tabling, right, with the Jewish students. And what do you think? I, you know, I'm putting a Jewish heritage club and I have like, two or three students next to me, and it's, I'm sitting there. I was a student myself. I was a, I was a, I was a 2L, second-year law student. And you, I, you would always know Jewish students because the Jewish students would either come, sign up, that was a lot, lot of them, or they would look and run for their lives. <laughs> like, no Gentile just looks and runs. They would just look and walk by. Okay, Jewish club, not for me. Right? But a Jew, if, they, if they're unsure, they would look and they would run. Like, so I said, it was a, it was a clear giveaway. I'll never get So at one time, I, you know, I used to stop and I got a lot of these students and I said, you're Jewish. So one time I went to a girl, you're Jewish. She says, I'm married to a Gentile. I said, you're Jewish. 
I ate bacon this morning. I said, you're Jewish. So what do you want from me? Sign up. <laughs> she signed up and she actually came to the classes. But you know, actually, you know, but in, in that you know, in that experience, I really I was my first time really experiencing that if you want to do something, you can do whatever you want for other people. And even as busy as you are, you always are gonna have a choice in life. You can either for remember your first name from Providence? Yeah. Alex, what's your first name? Jack. Jack. Jack the baseball player. You can always be a player or a fan. This is the rule. You can watch the world around you. You can be the one standing up for Israel and be a fan, a player, and make the difference in the people around you. Or you can be a fan. You can say boo, you can cheer, and you walk away, and nothing happens. Right? Because when you're a fan, right, it's, at the end of the day, you don't, really, you don't really accomplish. So because of this experience, I graduated from Penn Law. I summoned for a law firm called DLA Piper. Anyone heard of that? DLA Piper is the second largest law firm in the world, and I see, and I see none of you pre-law over here. Uh, good for you. Uh, <laughs> smart move. Uh, so I suburb for DLA, DLA Piper. Actually, DLA Piper is one of the largest law firms in Chicago. It was the largest law I suburb in Baltimore. Not too far. It's the largest law firm in Maryland, actually, DLA Piper in Baltimore. And I suburb for DLA Piper, and I found myself looking at law and saying, this is not what I want to do. And I decided to become a rabbi, which I had rabbinical coordination. And I really, I, when I was looking, I actually looked at a little some places in New England. Um, not at Providence, but not too far, some places. And I, but, but it was really, I, what appealed to me was the Bay Area, because the Bay Area has lots of smart people, right? I, you know, Silicon Valley is a, a big chunk of the economy. There's lots of Jews there, and not as much Judaism. So I went to Silicon Valley. And I had the opportunity to teach and share a lot. It's just very accurate. Right? Lots of Jews, not too much Judaism. Yeah. Right? Um, and, but lots of smart people. And you know, I became a rabbi of, of computer engineers. And by doing that, I was always looking, what could I be a player for? Was, I could have said, I'm a rabbi. Okay, I'm a synagogue. I'll stick to my synagogue. And life is good. But I, I, so I start. And here's the thing in life. When you want to be a player and you look for opportunities, not for yourself. You want to do positive things. You'll, you'll see, actually, to quote Steve Jobs, everyone heard of Steve Jobs here, right? <laughs> right? Anyone ever see his, his um, commencement speech at Stanford? Can't connect the dots looking forward, can only connect the dots looking backwards, right? Anyone see that? I think it was one of the most watched commencement speeches in, 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 in I used to, when I was bored, watch commencement speeches. You know, I watched Mark Zuckerberg's at Harvard, no comparison to Steve Jobs. But he has this famous speech in Stanford, 2005, where he talks about that he, he built Apple by just doing things along the way, and later on in life, those dots you can connected. So when I was in San Jose, I tried to build something called an Erev. Does anyone know what an Erev is? What's an Erev? You know what it is? It's like a religious Jewish community. Right. So it's a, it's a, and for, for, for observant or for traditional Jews, it's, it kind of walls the city. It makes it the city one. So but San Jose is the 10th largest city in the United States. The largest nine cities had this. I mean, with a 10th city that did not have it. So I made it my, my, my journey to build, I had a law degree. I, you know, I, I, I tried to make a connection really, you know, and I tried to build this Arab. And, and to get an Arab, we needed city permission, county permission, water district permission, electric permission, state, state highways. And because I started interacting a lot with government officials, and, they, and, and as, as noted, in, in, in the Bay Area, there's not a lot of open, not like people walking around with a keep like Chicago, you go to parts of Chicago, have they been anywhere for 
uh, this Northwestern area? Well, Hattershaw, Skokie. Skokie, okay. Yeah. Lockheed so, Poe's in Skokie. Lockheed Poe's in Skokie. <laughs> Go farther south, it's even more. Like West Rogers, the Rogers Jack area. Came over the Shabbat, he saw. He saw it, right? Lots yeah. of kippahs, lots of kippahs, right? So the, in, in Chicago, you have parts with a lot, and then Gofellas, Peterson Park, where I am. But in Bay Area, you have nothing like that. It's like, I, I still remember the vice mayor of San Jose saying to me, Rabbi, she, she had like some Jewish blood. You're the first Jewish person that's ever been in City Hall. But because of that, I end up giving the invocations a lot in City Hall, and which got me invitations to other um, other uh, venues for the city. I end up being uh, the um, the one of the two co-heads of Jewish Heritage Day for the city of San Jose. Um, and then also, I said, you know, I'm a Holocaust, I'm a grandchild Holocaust survivor. So like, what can I do about this? So one day, I mentioned to somebody in the community, you know, by the way, the Silicon Valley Holocaust Association has um, a, a monthly lecture. I'd be happy to give it for everyone. I have four grandparents who are Holocaust survivors. So they asked me to speak for that. And because of that, I started speaking for uh, that, that organization in the public schools who, uh, you know, when, 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 you, when something goes well, right, so the other people, you know, other people ask you, oh, word of mouth, that's what happens. You do something, a, a decent job at something. Another person will say, okay, so you come speak at the public schools. Then I had television you know, television shows asking me, <laughs> could you speak to us about International Holocaust Day or Yom HaShoah? And, you know, you can be on Scripps or on Newsmax or CBS, these type of shows, and they'll ask you questions um, of such thing. When I was there, it's something called the Chavra Kaddish. I was a rabbinic head because my background's law. So I'm looking, what could I do? I was a rabbinic head of the Chavra Kaddish. Anyone know what the Chavra Kaddish is? Ever heard of the Chavra Kaddish? My great-grandfather started it in Israel. Really? Where? Like in, like, I don't know, he's one of like, the people to start it. Okay, so the Chabra Kedisha is in charge of Jewish burial. So I was involved for the whole burial. Oakland, Berkeley, uh, San Jose, Palo Alto, Los Altos, Hillsboro, everywhere there. Um, anyone, anyone heard of these places? Cupertino? Everyone heard of Cupertino, mm-hmm. right? Because their phone says Cupertino. We have an apple. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I was, I was like about a five-minute job from Cupertino. But I'll tell you a quick story. I ended up speaking in Apple and Cisco and, and Intel and Google. Apple, if you ever go to that place, it's like push it. It's simply Fort Knox. If you, if you go to Google, you can walk around everywhere. You can eat. Apple, even there ever, it's Fort Knox. Like I remember I spoke there, and they had my picture. They had like rabbi, historian, I didn't get the history yet, uh, lawyer, and they, they record you, and you're like this huge auditorium, and a few hundred people are in the room, and then they, they're all the live screening to everyone's computers. So I asked them, can I get a recording of what I spoke at? Never. Like, we don't give out anything. They, wa- they walk you around with your hand. You can't walk around anywhere there. Like, ooh, you can walk around the place. You might stumble upon the Apple Vision Pro. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what they didn't know is that one of the top people working for Apple was in my synagogue. So I saw the watch years before it even hit the market. <laughs> I didn't tell him that. But he, was he was testing it. You know, he was asking me. He actually was asking all his questions. Could you wear this on Sabbath, on the Sabbath, on Shabbos? If it moves this way, is it a problem? Like, I saw that watch years before they marketed it. It. Um, actually, I'll just tell you very briefly a funny story when I was at Apple. So it was when I spoke at Apple once, it was about parenting. So it was myself, the head of the largest mosque in Cupertino, the head of the largest evangelical church in San Jose, and the head of the atheists in Stanford. Okay? And it was 10 minutes each on parenting. Each of us had to speak about our perspectives coming from the religious or secular viewpoint about parenting. And this is a very big mixed audience. And again, they, they show you live. And then there's a questions from the audience. So I give my 10 minutes. This one gives 10 minutes. 10 minutes. 
first question from the audience. I'm sitting there back. I'm sitting there. First question from the audience. This question is for the imam or the rabbi. You talked about parenting and educating your children. What do you do if your child wants to date a person from another faith? What do you say to that child? So the imam says, ask the rabbi. <laughs> yeah, he said, ask the rabbi. So I said, listen, I'll tell you very briefly what I said. You're in a Jewish group. I said, I'm not going to talk about theology because this, none of you are we're all of different faiths over here. But I pointed out, which is something to think about, I said that at the end of the day, if you're talking about educating a child, I can tell you this from first-hand experience. I've, I have a lot of experiences. I've dealt with not only my synagogue, but thousands of people when I was in San Jose, uh, throughout the Bay Area in different ways. So I said, you give kids mixed messages. As if you're talking about parenting, if you have one parent saying one message, another parent saying another message, very often it's very challenging for the kid. That's not a theological argument. Talk about parenting. It's very so. Of course, the guy from Stanford, the atheist, says no. I think, he, by the way, he was the worst because I was the other two guys. I got along. With, this guy, I was like, no. I think it's beautiful. It's a miracle. You can marry anyone that you want. You can do with anything you want. She said, I said, really? Because I've heard this guy the whole 40, you know, the whole time, you know, making fun of religion. I said, what would you do if you married an evangelical Christian? You think that your kids would come out normal? I said, sure they'd come out normal. <laughs> My wife would bring them to church, and I'd be reading the New York Times, and every time they get back, I'd say, it's all stupid. I said, and you think they come out normal? <laughs> of course, the, the audience laughed. But how did I get that opportunity? It's because I was doing other things. And those are the, the dots that you know, eventually I started to write. Now, when you write, you kind of open up lots of different boxes. So my first experience in writing, uh, besides law school and the youth, was I actually wrote a, a, a letter to somebody, and, and it actually changed the whole policy of an organization. And then, so I said, whatever this topic was, I, I wrote it in the Jerusalem Post afterwards. And because of that, it actually had, had people call me nationally about this topic. I don't know if the topic would just be, be too much of a sidebar. Uh, nationally about this topic. Uh, and I said, wow, I really made a difference. So I wrote another article from the Jerusalem Post. And because of that, a group asked me to come with them to Israel to meet the government of Israel and the opposition of Israel. So I met Netanyahu, by the way, when he was the prime minister. And I met, I met more than once I met him. And all the government, like from Gantz, Bennett, you name it, I met him more than once, all of them. Um, that, but that was several years ago, six, seven years ago, because I wrote an article. So I said, you know what? I can do something. I, I, I can sit in my desk in San Jose and make a difference. Um, and then, by the way, uh, you know, I got in, interviewed by, interna- by national radio in Israel about some of the things I wrote. Uh, so I said, you know what? When Poland came out with a law saying that you can't say Poland had anything to do with the Holocaust, or, and, um, and basically said that you can't say Poles were anything wrong, which is not historically true. I'm a grandchild of four Polish Holocaust. So I said, so I said I'm going to do something like that also. So I wrote an article in the Washington Times. You know what the Washington Times is? It's a major D.C. paper. And the reason I wrote that paper is because they were dependent on the Republicans. I don't want to ask you political views over here. They happen to be pretend Republicans. I wrote an article on this paper. It went viral in Poland. And what's crazy is, um, is that, uh, you know, they, 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 I started getting, like, death threats. Like, thou- I, like death threats from all around Poland. They call me up, you stupid jid. Poles, Poles are not anti-Semitic. No, Poland did nothing wrong. Like, hang up. You know, we'll kill you, you Jew. You, Poland, how, like, 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 basically, a jid means dirty Jew with Jew. I got letters. I, but, but, but remarkably, I wrote, 
that's a, I have thousands of such emails. Thousands of emails like that. Thousands. You are not an anti-Semite. Yeah, you know. I but was it? remarkable. I wrote that article. That letter article came out on Tuesday. It was viral. It had millions of hits. On Friday. In the same paper, the Polish ambassador to the United States wrote a letter, that, which was a very dumb letter. The foreign ministry of Poland discussed my article, right? Discussed this article, and Saturday night they froze that law. Now, I don't think it was only me, to be honest, but I still had a part of it. They had the foreign ministry talk about this article. The, the, the Polish ambassador to the United States, Israel ambassador, wrote a letter to the editor about this article. Happens to be some of the government of Israel is involved as well. But my point is, is I was looking to do something. And since then, I've read dozens of articles um, from different papers. One of them, I, anyone ever read H.com? You know what H.com is? H.com? Bringing a lot oh, of stuff yeah. from there. Yeah, you know H.com? Yeah. So you Google my name. Well, you, you'll see, you can see actually all these articles. But I write for H. I'll tell you something interesting. H.Hatora, which has like lots of Jewish, it's like also an organization that wants to spread Judaism. Actually, a lot of Christians go in there also. Like they, mm, I see in the comments. Yeah, you can oh, see yeah. a lot. All kinds of people go in there. You know, looking for parenting and this and that. You know, because Judaism has a lot to offer. Well, you, I'm sure that's where you're, well, a lot of reasons why you're here. There's a lot of knowledge, a lot, lot to offer. So they asked me about two or three years ago to write on Jewish history. Why do you ask Jewish history? Because they're taught, the guy, Nechemi Cooper, you know who he is? So he's the, he runs H.com. H.com has millions of hits a month. Millions of hits a month. Um, and basically they polled Jews who, would, who were not necessarily very religious. If they would click on one topic, one topic, and go on a Jewish website, they, what, 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 would they but what would you guess out of curiosity? What, would you, what topic would a, a person from 25 to 50, a few years, what would they click on? So they had always put philosophy, family lifestyle. What do you think? I gave it a hint already. History. Jewish history. <laughs> and number two was food. So I was not going to say food. Food. Food is number two. <laughs> food, yeah, food is number two. But, so what, but why Jewish history? It's a remarkable thing. So Jewish history, um, if you understand, if you, like, and I, and I, even when I was in, in Penn, I was always shocked. You had very smart Jews who knew about ha- Hamilton and Einstein and even Bob Marley. Uh, has some Jewish background, you know that, by the way. You know, Bob Marley. Yeah, sure. In fact, his his daughter-in-law is Jewish. It's all Israeli. Yeah. Ziggy. Married to a Jew. His grandchildren are Jewish. Yeah. You can look it up. Like, the, the lost tribe yeah. of Israel, like that was his parents' thing. Yeah, 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 but his daughter-in-law is not a lost tribe; she's Jewish. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but 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 a lot of Jews know all kinds of things about about all about American history, European history. Uh, but they know not or sports. And they know nothing about Jewish history. Like they, you, you can ask them, this, even smart people, and a lot of people when they want to understand who they are. Can you imagine the following thing? Imagine tomorrow morning, you would wake up and you have no idea who your grandparents were. And, your, and you have no idea who your parents are. How, who would you be? If you, if you didn't know who your parents and grandparents are, you'd be missing, even if you were the same person, you know who your friends are, you'd be lacking a tremendous part of your life. So imagine being a Jew and not hearing about... Everyone heard of Rashi? Mm-hmm. Yes. Right? Heard of Rashi? You never heard of Rashi? Okay. You heard of the Rambam? Yeah. Maimonides? You heard of the Tachvatat? Tachvatat was, was were, were in the 17th century. All of you are Eastern European Jews. Anyone in Sephardic here? 
Any Svardim? Okay, so Tach Vatat is when oh, hundreds of thousands of Jews were killed actually in Ukraine. Um, in Ukraine. It affected, it affected the whole Jewish, Jewish world. How about Shabtai Tzvi? Anyone hear of Shabtai Tzvi? Okay, Shabtai Tzvi was the biggest false messiah since uh, JC. <laughs> since Jesus. <laughs> but anyway, I, I talk about that too. But anyways, so he asked me. So he asked me. I, I have, so why did he ask me? I gave I gave a, a Jewish history lecture series in San Jose, which I heard tens of thousands, if not more, times online. And people saw, people saw me all the time about this. So they asked me could you write articles. So these. So I wrote a lot. If you go to age.com, you look up Menachem Levine, you'll see lots of articles which are translated to Spanish and in all kinds of other languages. Well, then you have, end up on Wikipedia, and then you end up being quoted in all kinds of books and other or news organizations when they have a topic. Like, I, I, I have on Academia. I don't know if that is. You, you ever use Academia for your stuff? Mm-hmm. So I had an article called The Jews of Yemen. So right now, that t- article is very popular because of the Houthis. So, but, my, mm-hmm. but a lot of these things is going to, to look, what could you, what, what could you do? Um, and the more you look at what you do, the more opportunities to come away. And all, all these dots come. So that's a little bit my story. And to now, I'm the CEO of the largest Jewish school of 1,700 kids with the largest Jewish organization um, out, really outside. It's not just school. We're the largest Jewish organization in Chicago with over 300 Jewish employees. We have three campuses. And we get to interact with a lot of things. And one of the things I get to do is speak to young, up-and-coming, proud Jews like yourself who you yourself are going to be impacted. And you know what I said yesterday? Because I look at it like this. If I can give any of you, you, any of you, some inspiration to do something, you're going to be doers in your own life. And it's just a little bit passing the torch. You know, you, little, you light a light to somebody, they, they go on and you share. Whether it's, you know, inspiration, whether it's something. I actually, I, recently somebody emailed me from, actually LinkedIn. Actually, I have, I don't know, LinkedIn? Not yet. You have it? Okay, so I have like, oh, yeah. I have like, yeah, you're ready, you're ready for the workforce. So I have, uh, yeah, I have like 10, I have like 10, 11,000 people. I, like, I don't know what it's like, like 11,000 people on my LinkedIn, you know, feed. So I have like, a lot of people, like I shared some of my history articles, some of the you know, other news, news, uh, or news type of things I got interviewed. And one of these guys who, his name is Max, who, he told me his family said it was to use the communist Haggadah in Penn Law. He's like, Rabbi, I live in Israel now. I'm like, what? Max, you live in Israel? He's, he's like so happy to tell me because that was going back to, to Penn. That was going back to those days. So I just, all of you, you should just realize, you know, I shared my story, which is, you're going to have unique stories, but you really could influence, there's a butterfly effect. And whether it, whatever you do, you should always look beyond yourself and beyond your job. You know, eventually, you should look, the biggest impact in the world, I didn't tell you this, is I have 10 kids. That's by four of the biggest. Ten. 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 Wow. Yeah. So my wife is amazing. As I, as I drove here, my wife took my, one of my kids to urgent care because his finger just got, you know, he's playing baseball outside. Baseball. Be careful, by the way. Baseball. He's playing baseball. The ball hit it. He thought it broke his finger, but it looks like it just really badly bruised. That was, as they pulled up her wife, she's at urgent care. But your biggest impact is your family. You know, you, you affect your family. But after that, it can affect the world. And in fact, one of the best ways to affect everyone else at this age is to work on yourselves, to work on your own Judaism. Any of you heard of the Chafetz Chaim? No, Chafetz Chaim? The Chafetz Chaim was the greatest age in Poland, passed away in 1933. It's actually an article in the New York Times, like 1928, 29, actually, I saw this article. Somebody from New York, and they were working for the, a reporter, went to, to the New York Times, to Poland, to meet this great sage of the Jews. And she 
had to travel to go play a boat, actually a boat, and this and train. Eventually, takes a wagon to get this town where this Chavetz Chaim was. And she writes in the article, I met the Jewish God. <laughs> that, was her, that was, I met the Jewish God. That was her description of the Chavetz Chaim. He was such a holy person. The Chavetz Chaim said when he was younger that he wanted to change a lot of Jewish people. And, and by the way, you learned the Chavetz Chaim as a little kid in school. Anyone who goes to a Jewish day school, pretty much you learned the Chavetz Chaim. He, he said about when he got older, he said when he was younger, he wanted to affect the world. And then he said, I can't affect the world, I'll affect my country. I can't affect my country, I'll affect my city. I can't affect the city, I'll affect my family. So even my family, I really can't affect, I'll try to affect myself. And ultimately he said, he worked on himself, and with God's help, he was able to affect his family, and then his city. He was the greatest sage of Poland. And even today, literally 90 years after his passing, his words are studied by millions of Jews around the world every daily. Um, and I would just say right now, when you're in college, you should look to be leaders in your fields and in life, and in your communities, but the most important thing that all of you can do right now is to work on yourselves, and, and honestly, the, the, the most important part of yourself, I'm sure it sounds like wild right now, is your own Judaism. That, that is who you are from your past. You know, I, I will say a little theology, I'll throw in a little theology now. That's really all of our purpose at some level in this world is to be good Jews, um, I'll say as a rabbi, but the more you know about the, your Judaism, the more you'll be able, honestly, to be help yourselves, your families, help the Jewish people, and really to share with the world. I can tell you as a rabbi, I deal with many Christians and Muslims and all kinds of people. People ask me biblical questions. People ask me life advice. I can't tell you how many alcohols, like anonymous people I've dealt with over the years. How many, you know, rabbi, can you tell me the Jewish view on this? Um, you'll have way more opportunity to give off to other people. So my blessing to you always is you should continue your Jewish studies. You should be leaders in every aspect. And for now, you should get not only LinkedIn ready, uh, <laughs> but you should be tuned into your Judaism, and you'll be able to do so much more in life. Questions? Yes? Um, what to you does it mean to be a good Jew? What it means to be a good Jew. Stop typing funny. Um, when I was in Penn Law, I was like the rabbi. I literally was the rabbi walking around, uh, you know, and I was in the brochure, and I thought I would say, I thought um, that when, my, when, you know, there's a girl, Sarah Horowitz, if she ever hears this, she'll think it's funny. Uh, so S- Sarah was like a girl who got good traditional background, and my last month in Penn Law, I thought she said I'm like the most knowledgeable Jew. I was like, only rabbi in Penn Law. There's other Orthodox students, other traditional Jews. But I thought she said, you're, you're rabbi, my first name. I think like the most knowledgeable, she said, you're the proudest Jew. So I think today, part of being a good Jew is to be a proud Jew. Because you, in, in, on campus, and pride, by the way, comes from knowledge. You can only be pride, proud if you know something. But I, I would say a, a good Jew is looking to grow in their Judaism. Because let me put this, I'm going to give you a rabbinic answer right now. We all grew up differently. I don't know any of your backgrounds. I don't know where you came from. Right? I don't know how strong your Jewish background is, how weak it is, how, you know, I, I shared my parents. I thought it gave me a very strong Jewish background. I had grandparents who were survivors, you know. Um, but we're all, we're all different. But what we all could do is grow in our Judaism. That we all, that's, that's, we all could grow. Because you could be very religious and not grow and that's a tragedy. The point of, of Judaism is to grow. You know what, does anyone know what Torah means? You know what the word Torah means? So Torah means instructions. So, like, it's to grow. I can tell you, I study, by the way, with two of the biggest real estate Jewish guys in Chicago, one, one-on-one. Somehow people set me up. Thought they find me interesting, and I find them interesting. <laughs> and what I find about amazing about these guys is they're the top of their fields. Like one of them open, um, and they, they, they are looking to grow in their Judaism. So when you're looking, Judaism is to grow, um, to study, 
And the more you know, the more you do. Actually, I'll just swing back just because of this question. When I was in Penn Law, one of the people who would not sign up on, to my Jewish Heritage Club t- today more, one day walks by me and says, on purpose, I could hear, I fast in Yom Kippur. I will never do that again. I have no idea why I fasted. Now, he walked by me, of all people, and says this. So, but the truth is, if you have no idea why you're doing something, why in the world would you want to fast? I would say the tragedy is that he had no idea why. Let me decide on something. In your Judaism, if you might be a good Jew, the more you know, the more you'll do, and the more you'll appreciate. Imagine, remember your, remind your first name? Gabby. Gabby. All right, so, so Gabby, imagine someone called you, living in San Francisco, and your best friend. She says, it's 3 in the morning, and she calls up, Gabby, could you drive to Chicago? How far is the drive from San Francisco to Chicago? Five, four days. Four days, okay. She says, 3 in the morning. That's, yeah, you can do it. If you drive straight, you can take it for a little pet. Okay. I don't know. It's a lot, it's a lot of hours. She, she says, get in the car and drive now. 3 She's your best friend, so younger. Would you do it? If she gave me a reason. Of course she gave me a reason. She said, you have to do it. Promise me you'll do it. What if you flew? Could I fly? Nope, drive. There's no flights. I mean, yeah. You do it. Okay. So, Peter, listen to this. She, if Gabby drives from, Chicago, from, from San Francisco to Chicago, and she has no idea when you're driving, what will your drive be like? You'll be annoyed, think it's stupid, think it's dumb. What if your, your best friend will tell you the following thing? Gabby, three in the morning to leave, because my uncle who is a father of three children, who's a community member, he's a doctor, he saves countless patients, he needs medication, and you're the only one who could bring it to him. How would you feel that, during that drive? Amazing. Stepping on the gas. Stepping on the gas, you feel great. So what's the difference in the drive? You know the purpose. You know the purpose. So the more you know about your Judaism, the more you understand it, the better your Jew you'll be. Well, that's such a good part. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Any other questions? No, very good. Charlie, <laughs> no questions? No questions. No? I don't know. Good. Um, I guess just, like, coming, or, like, speaking to someone who obviously, like, gives so much, and I can tell that a lot of, like, your purpose is, like, rewarding in terms of, like, giving, whether it's knowledge or service or anything to other people, and then you kind of when you were talking about, like, a really good way to work on yourself and your Judaism is to, like, you know, feed like, your self-betterment, too. Also, right. like, a f- you know, the, so, you probably have so many responsibilities. Like, how do you, what are, like, certain things that you do, like, solely for yourself? So, I, I, it's small, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I study, yeah. I exercise, and I spend time with my family. I, I, that's really what it is. I think in, every, in everything, whether you're in college or not, you always need boundaries in mm-hmm. life. And then you, there's a certain point you can pick and choose. So, so I, I actually, at this point, I asked to give lots of different types of classes. So, like, I just got asked to, be, to teach in schools and university, actually, university here, of course. I didn't do that because I, it wouldn't fit in what I'm doing. But I do look to expand. When you make it big and intelligent, you're going to put me on there. I'm going to tell those, some Jews, Holocaust, some Judaism, right? But that, that's actually, those are, those are big things. But small, but many times I'll do small, the one-on-ones. I learn not just with big real estate. I learn small individuals. So, but for myself, I, I self-study, take care of myself physically. My, and the most important thing is my family. At the end of the day, it's, family is all you have. Mm-hmm. You know, your most important, you're, you're starting, my marriage is my number one. My wife is amazing. I'm ha- very happily married for 23 years. Like, uh, and that's make or break for me. Um, and then children, and then I expand, you know, to, to do more. Any other questions? 
You know, that's my you pitch. Have a rabbi here. You know my pitch. You know my. Uh, I was a terrible baseball player, by the way. <laughs> Basketball and tennis, golf, Florida. <laughs> <laughs> See, I, yes. Question, and I don't know. I mean, I'm curious to know what you think about this. But what are your thoughts on like somebody who is culturally Jewish or has like a heritage of Judaism and understands the culture and has been educated in Judaism throughout their life, yet chooses to not practice? as much or like chooses to veer towards atheism rather than Judaism yet they still try and like share and grow and be a leader what's your thought on like being a good Jew if you're still educating yourself in that way but not like so Judaism is not all or none that's that's first of all so you're asking a a, a rabbi and orthodox rabbi so maybe I'm going to answer Um, I think there's you know People are complex, and people can do great things. So there are many good people who do a lot of good things with Jew- Jewish people. I would say I met very few such people who have Jewish knowledge. Honestly, most of the people who are like that, it's a default and not really a choice. I'm just telling you from I'm, I'm around a lot of Jewish groups and a lot of Jews and a lot of Jews like who just described. They they didn't come from a point of where they knew a lot. Right, it's not like they they went to yeshiva and became that way. That, that most of them have who were like that had parents or grandparents who were proud Jews or Jew, they went to some form of Jewish class or knowledge. They had some Judaism. They don't have the, the background to really make a decision. So first of all, I look at such Jewish leaders. I'm inspired at some level and sad. I'm honestly sad at some level because they don't. You know, I'm gonna be. I'm gonna. I'm gonna jump off for a second, but. I, I, I've never met a person who is an agnostic or an atheist personally. And I've had, again, I was a rabbi in Silicon Valley for a reason, because I enjoyed the intellectual uh, discussions that are there that really could explain why they're an atheist or an agnostic. I, I'll share a story. I, I, I remember one with a lady who was very, very not religious. Once in a while, she went to Reform Temple. I just asked her, she was a, this woman went to Yale, she's my doctor, my kid's pediatrician. She went to my sukkah, you know what a sukkah is, everyone knows a sukkah? Mm-hmm. Yeah. my sukkah. So I asked her the following question, brilliant, her husband was a Yale lawyer, she was a Yale, a Yale grad, and her multiple degrees, I said, do you believe in, you know, going to Reform Temple once a year? Is that what you believe? She said, no, but I'm comfortable. So I said to her, but do you believe in it? Does, does it make sense to you? Is, is, it, is that where, where your head is? So most Jews don't believe in that, that's just who they are. And a lot of them are good people. Let's say they believed in it. So I'd say the following thing. And you can take this, again, we all grew up differently. And we all, we're all the goal for us is to be growth-oriented. I think I actually saw that. Growth lives it. I love that. I love that. That's, I, I never saw that, actually, by the way. That's great. So, you know, but imagine the following thing. Um, it's, it's a crude, it's a crude uh, example or metaphor, but, but it's some, there's something to be said. Imagine you have a person who's uh, a very giving person to all people, people in the streets, but to their parents, they're not. Like, they help all kinds of people, but not their parents. What would you say about such a person? They're very giving to all of everyone but their parents. I'd say that's sad. See, that's sad. Like, they don't talk to their parents. They don't help their parents. Their parents are needy. So imagine a person who's good to lots of people and helps Jews in that way, but has no connection to, to God. And in Judaism, God is your parent, right, so to speak. You have, they're, they're totally disconnected to Hashem. Totally disconnected to God, so from from religious perspective, that's what that's like. You you so it doesn't take away the good you're doing for the people, but mostly it's sad. I would call that a sad phenomenon. You think? What do you think, Wait. Jack? What do you think? Yeah. You agree or disagree? Yeah. 
Can you, I want to give me a look. So I'm, what, what, I, I'm torn. Why are you torn? I, I, I feel like... <laughs> um, wait, can we... I, I don't, can we if um, you have... So, circles in. Yeah, can we just... If you had somebody who took care of the world, but not their parents, had no connection to their parents, and I would say the following thing. If they, if they don't have a connection to their parents because they don't know their parents... They're just a person who doesn't realize that. That's sad. You would all agree that's sad. Mm-hmm. And if they know they have parents and they don't do it, that's even sadder. So I would argue that most people like you described don't know they have a connection to God. I will say one thing. As, and if you look in Jewish history, you know, actually I have, two, I have a series of 40 hours for your after, your, after all of this class. But, but Jews who continue on are because they have... What keeps us here is our connection long-term is to our connection to, to, to God. Whatever level we're on, that we're growth-oriented. Otherwise, over time, it doesn't make sense to continue because you can, we're a minority. <laughs> you know, what's the, pur- what's the purpose? Is it just because you're born Jewish? Well, I mean, you know, it should be real to you. It should be real. So I would, that's what I would say. I'm coming as a Orthodox. But I'll tell you one thing. I have love for anybody who helps the Jewish people, even if they're like that, even if they're an atheist or agnostic. But again, I think they're missing a lot in their life. And almost always what makes me very sad is it's not because they made a choice. It's a default. And they still are very doing a lot of things for the Jewish people. Any other questions? Okay. One day, you may not remember me, but hopefully you'll do amazing things with everything and really you should continue from strength to strength. And... She will tell you about the Chavra Kedisha and her grandfather one day and Camp yeah. Simcha and all these other fun things. Until then, continue growing and doing amazing things. If I can ever be of help, I'm my pleasure. Thank you so much.